In the world of tech, there's nothing that gets discussed more than reliability. But when we dig into this technical topic, we find the concepts are much more fundamental. On this weekly podcast, we dig into how the concepts of reliability impact every aspect of our lives. Welcome to the Reliability Room. I'm your host, Emily Arnott, Community Manager here at Blameless. Hello, I'm Emily, the Community Manager here at Blameless, and welcome to our podcast on the wide world of reliability. Here, we're reaching out to community members, coworkers, colleagues, and everyone else to learn about how they incorporate reliability into all the projects of their life. Today, I'm joined by Leo. Hello, Emily, and hello, everyone listening. Thank you for your time today. I am in our product marketing team, but uh, don't be fooled. I was a practitioner for almost 20 years before coming over to the dark side and still carry the battle scars today, which is part of the reason why I want to uh, help teach and have conversations about the proper ways to think about reliability and evangelize good practices. Mm-hmm. And one of the big initiatives you're heavily involved with to those ends is the Catchpoint SRE survey, uh, which this year Blameless co-sponsored. And we've done a little bit reporting about the uh, findings of that survey. So I just wanted to start off by asking, um, how was it for you? How was the surveying process? What kind of stuff did you learn? What was surprising? (laughs) Well, first, I've had the privilege of being able to author the report, which is generated from the insights from the surveys for three years now. And while it has gotten a little easier (laughs) this third year versus the very first time I had to go through, there's always some uh, monkey wrenches that uh, that come your way, right? But uh, one of the things that made it easier this year versus previous years was we had uh, Blameless as a partner, which brought to the table a different and fresh perspective to help get it out the door. But Yeah, it's certainly one of our largest projects just because of all the logistics coordination Mm. across time zones, et cetera. And it's an interesting question, you know, what did you find surprising? Because it's like, I know when I start to write and interpret the data, I know I get my own surprises. What's the expression? Something to the effect of one person's uh, trash is another person's treasure or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, what might be surprising to me might be along the lines of, oh, I expected that to somebody else. So mm. there, there are a couple of things that, that come to mind. So first is, I guess the, I probably expected it for me comes in the form of how low the value from artificial intelligence for IT ops was, mm. uh, but that might be surprising to other people. The one that where I think we really start to get into some of the surprise factor was when we started to talk about, for example, uh, the concept of a uh, tool sprawl. And mm. we just directly asked the question, how large of a problem is tool sprawl for you? And when the data came back, it kind of went against previous reports we had been reading throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we probably should dig into this a little further. Now, What started us down the path is actually what led us to the biggest surprise of the report this year, which is we asked a handful of questions and then we said, which best describes your role? Rank may have been a better word, individual contributor, team lead, manager, senior manager, executive. And then we started to break down the other questions by 
people's roles. <laughs> no one should probably be surprised by the fact that there were gaps mm. in the answers. What actually turned out to be the most surprising or emotion-inducing find of this year's report is when we started to show the gaps and the deltas, and in some cases, the trend lines went in completely opposite mm -hmm. directions. It was the uh, ferocity or how fierce people automatically started to defend what they already believed to be true. That is what turned out to be the most surprising out of the report, but out of the entire project exercise itself. And so it's like, if you think about on one end of the spectrum, and you'll probably be able to kind of figure out who said what, but <laughs> on one end of the spectrum, it was like, they don't understand how complicated it is to work with all these different teams to get all this different data to power our observability frameworks. Versus on the other end of the spectrum, we heard comments like they don't seem to get that we need to be able to add value and make this thing work. It is just mm -hmm. like it was just like just listening to the the level of ferocity and, and passion, I guess, of people automatically defending their biases, I guess, is, is the word. And that was the most surprising find from this year's report. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I've learned about reliability and just sort of observability, your system health in general, is that everyone has a different perspective. To use another analogy, it's like that story of the blind people touching the elephant. <laughs> and someone oh, says, oh, oh, yeah, I felt the tree trunk. Oh, I felt the hose. Oh, I felt sandpaper. And it's all the same elephant. It's all the same service. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is that even though I think deep down everyone knows, yeah, I've got a biased perspective. I'm only seeing the angle that's like important to me, that's actionable to me. I think it's true that there's a lot of friction when you're asking, okay, but what about that guy over there? What are they seeing? <laughs> and, they, and they go, oh, well, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not important. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I'm the one with the correct viewpoint. I'm the one that can see the elephant. So that's really interesting. I, I find it uh, a survey is one of the times that this really gets exposed and challenged. So I'm kind of curious, like, looking forward, what do you think these individual practitioners or, or managers or whoever can do to kind of like broaden the vision to kind of get more people on the same page? Before I kind of speak to that question, the if we're sharing uh, secrets here. Go for uh, it. Uh, the last two years we wrote the survey. I don't know if I'm sure there's some proper formal survey moniker for questions that are used to tactfully engage with people taking the surveys. And so... Last year, I think we said, do you prefer iOS or Android and do you oh, prefer PC, right? Just to kind of like when you're reading kind of like academic questions and then you get a, like a, a quote unquote gibberish question and you're like, oh, wait, what is this, right? Mm -hmm. So this year, the two, the not so nice word is gibberish questions, but the <laughs> maybe the nicer euphemism is kind of tactical engagement questions. Provocative but, questions. <laughs> They'll get the people so, going. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no one knows what it means. <laughs> it was, do you prefer to use Google Workspace or Microsoft 365? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a and big one these days. 
what actually was put in there as a gibberish slash tactical engagement question actually did in fact turn out to be the most emotion invoking set of data wow really from our initial beta testers and you know people listening to this they might be like uh leo emily what what kind of question this is a, a formal piece of research and you're saying google or microsoft it's like no go kind of beyond the surface level and especially when we kind of broke it down by those roles and kind of try to get from the what kind of to the why getting back to your question that you asked a moment ago i was kind of thinking about this as like is we talked a little bit about the bias and probably the one that comes to mind the most might be the confirmation bias where it's like people are just searching for things they already to reinforce what they already believe to be true but i'll add a, another dimension there is prior experiences might also influence that bias. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I'd say there is that your prior experience is an amalgamation of many dimensions and sub-dimensions. And many of those can be different between like, if your prior experience was at a previous company versus where you are now. So just kind of be cognizant of that and do your best to remove that bias. Mm. The second thing that we talked about actually quite heavily in this year's report is is going to be the concept of kind of being just operating with a just culture things like blameless and you know making sure conversations aren't across like a power scale or power gradient where the quote-unquote less powerful person isn't afraid to speak up and mm. say what needs to be said and the kind of the last thing that comes to mind that the broadening right to go back to your question is if something happens and, and I'm not able to do these types of reports or podcasts in the future, one of the things I want to be known for is that if you've got extreme speeds and feeds on one end of the spectrum and the quote unquote, we have to figure out how to add business value on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> that the bridging of that gap is okay. going to be what I refer to as talking about capabilities, which are normalized and are the gateway between those speeds and feeds on one end and business value. So that's the third thing that comes to mind about the to, to your broadening question is it's got to be about capabilities. It's like, does one give you the ability to collaborate better with a third party hmm. uh, or does one give you the ability to maintain regulatory compliance or something like that? It's like it's not about. I like the buttons in the bottom left versus the top, you know, the share link is over here. You know, it's like, no, that those types of conversations aren't going to help uh, anybody. So, yeah. So those are the kind of the three things about uh, that come to mind when we talk about the broadening. I really like that. I really like the focus on capabilities, because I think that's something that can be somewhat of a universal language that speaking again from like a biased perspective, one of the big things with people in SRE DevOps type roles is that it's hard to get a set of metrics everyone agrees on. It's hard to get a number that everyone can point to and say, yeah, that's the important number. So I like this idea of coming up with like more qualitative things, like shared directions, shared goals. And even if you know, you're know you coming at it from different angles, you can say, okay, well, I can make an argument that my strategy aligns with this. There's something that you can agree on fundamentally instead of I'm trying to optimize for this. I'm trying to optimize for this. <laughs> I want this many clicks on this button. I want this to load in this speed. It's so easy to get bogged down and distracted, I think, by these kind of incremental metrics. For what it's worth, 
this year's Dora research came out while we, uh, right, Catchpoint and Blameless, were in the middle of writing this year's report. And I said to myself, do not read that paper mm. until you finish writing your report. And when I went and read it after, and then also had the opportunity to hear Steve McGee from Google at SRECon a couple months ago. He also kind of talked about the concept of the capabilities as a gateway to outcomes. And I could, it kind of just, you know, felt good to be validated and hear <laughs> another you know, prestigious research firm kind of talk about it in a different way, but essentially still having the conversation around the capabilities. So I agree. Mm -hmm. It's very validating, isn't it? <laughs> to realize mm -hmm. that uh, what you're independently finding, what you're hearing from people is actually aligned with like a greater kind of cultural shift. <laughs> Gives you some hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I wanted to ask too, when we were talking about surprising findings uh, that you found the tool spread that somewhat unintuitively, even though, you know, the rates of tool adoption, the number of products out on the market seems to never be higher. Not a lot of places were complaining about the tool fatigue, having too big a tool stack. And it made me think about what you said that, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure that <laughs> I think often when you're very used to a system that becomes like your precious, precious tools. And when you said, oh, yeah, the, the kind of the most emotional response was for uh, 360 versus Google Docs. I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, that's uh, the engineer's lifeblood now is, is the tool stack. So I'm kind of curious, like, we almost see a bit of a tension between people in these sort of DevOps roles are sometimes the most tool skeptical. Like with AI ops and stuff, there's always this, I think, very healthy skepticism of well, you know, what value does it really add? Is it going to be a lot of overhead? Is it going to be a big learning curve? But then when you get over that hump and they have the tool, it seems like there's a lot of loyalty. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of dependence. So I'm just kind of curious, like I'm sure you've seen this pattern play out a few times and we can get more into this in the second episode as well. But uh, what do you kind of think of that dynamic and how you think, how do people get over that hump, I guess? The word paradox comes to mind. <laughs> Despite my intro, where I said I was currently in marketing, having been a former practitioner for so long, there's this paradox where, you know, we start here about, for example, this, this idea of application observability taken from scientific context, and then sales and marketing kind of latch on and it becomes completely bastardized mm. in the marketplace and I, there's just something about that that i think has like a counterintuitive effect because when i think back over the years sometimes sales and marketing don't bastardize this just happens to be for AI ops not for observability right to be clear this just happens to be one of the times where it has become so convoluted and mm. so promising and so overhyping that it's too big to just be like, oh, we're doing AI ops now, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a good question because when we write a report like this, like this, we have to be uh, very professionally neutral, yes, right? We can't. Yeah. And it's like when I was thinking about how the data started to come back. That's when I kind of got the idea of, okay, so let's kind of like, Leo, your initial thought was that it's super big. AIOps is an amalgamation of capabilities. So maybe the talk track here is how do we break this down? And so that's when the idea kind of a breaking it down 
into individual capabilities, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a common theme here, capabilities such as correlation, suggesting, or maybe even executing actions that those capabilities are going to need probably their own pieces of the tool stack, right? Mm -hmm. The different Mm -hmm. tools. And that was also when I got the idea of, I think this is also where do you build or do you buy question from the survey goes into this section of the report. Now, when I was writing, I was, I was thinking to myself, sounding it out, it's like, okay, you're an SRV, you're a, a reliability practitioner, and you can probably just sit there and write something, write some shell, execute, and boom, all of a sudden, that's a tool. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Your boss's bosses, they're sitting there looking at line items on a PNL, and they have no idea of this magical thing you created, right? It's, it's kind of, I don't know, you know, shadowy, right? Shadowy. Mm-hmm. And which, by the way, the author who wrote the report conclusion this year, Steve, uh, that I had mentioned previously, you know, he used the analogy of like when you walk into like a mechanic shop and you look around, you want the one that's got one tool on the wall or a hundred tools for right? it's mm-hmm. like... But anyway, just to get back to your question, it's like, you know, break it down into its smaller capabilities, figure out what it is you're trying to do, and incrementally do it. And then to the previous points, your previous question we spoke to a few minutes ago, have the conversations without bias, talk about capabilities, and, you know, do it in a way where the messenger is not shot. (laughs) That would always be nice <laughs> if the messengers can go on shot as someone from marketing to someone else. <laughs> I feel you there. No, it's a quite an interesting topic. Uh, I totally agree with you. It often seems that the adoption of a really big tool, a really expansive even set of tools, often begins with people just getting hooked on one feature, one capability. Yeah, it was really great talking to you in this initial episode. We're going to have another one discussing a little bit more of the logistics behind the survey and how you go about such an ambitious project. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone at home enjoyed it too. You are most welcome. See you uh, next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed your time in the reliability room. Everywhere we look, we see the challenges and value of good reliability. But no matter how you prepare, things will go wrong. Orchestrating your team around incident response is key to making a product users can trust. Automate a seamless incident management process with Blameless, the incident response workflow that keeps your communication and response running smoothly, even when things go wrong. Visit blameless.com trial to start your free trial today. That's blameless.com trial.